0: Book three, chapter five, part four of *The History of the Inquisition of Spain*, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ernst Schnell. *The History of the Inquisition of Spain*, volume two, by Henry Charles Lee. Book three, jurisdiction, chapter five, part four appeals to Rome. The tribunal consulted the Suprema and was ordered to execute the sentence. Another attempt was made on March ninth, but Villanueva refused to abjure, and this was repeated on several subsequent occasions in spite of warnings of the excommunication that would follow persistent obstinacy. At length, on June 7th, he offered to abjure under a protest which he presented in writing, to the effect that he did so through fear of the censures and without prejudice to his appeal or other recourse that he might take and on this protest being publicly read he made the abjuration he was not set at liberty but was transferred from the secret prison to the franciscan convent the tribunal giving as a reason his outcries and the disturbance that he made this leniency the suprema disapproved and in a few days he was remanded to the secret prison where he was treated with much rigour on June 18th, he was notified that the fiscal accused him of contumacy for not complying simply with his sentence, and on July 18th, he made the abjuration and was released. There is an intimation that he withdrew the recusation and appeal, but the statement is not clear. Though it is quite possible that means were found to effect it. John Huss was burned for refusing to abjure. A bull of Martin V, quoted by the Inquisition authorized the prosecution and relaxation of suspects who refused to abjure, and there is probably truth in a contemporary statement that the fiscal of the Suprema went to Toledo and threatened Villanueva that he would be publicly stripped of his habit as a knight of Calatrava and be relaxed to the secular arm for burning. He was helpless in the hands of those who would shrink from nothing to accomplish their ends, They had gone too far to hesitate now, and his power of endurance was exhausted. Meanwhile, his brother Agustin had not been idle. In several interviews with the king, he had presented memorials, which Philip forwarded to Arce, March 27, exhorting him to observe justice, but to take care that the severity and authority of the Inquisition do not suffer. He added that the memorials showed that the secrecy of the Inquisition had been violated, this must be investigated and exemplary punishment be administered. There was no hope of justice in this quarter, and Augustine turned to Rome as a last resort. Don Josef Navarro, who is spoken of as secretary, a devoted follower of Villanueva, was dispatched thither to procure a brief, and was doubtless well provided with funds. His errand soon was known, and on June seventh, Philip wrote to his ambassador the Count of Oñate, to use every means to prevent the granting of the brief and, if issued, to procure its revocation. A personal note to the Pope at the same time pointed out the irreparable injury which the admission of the appeal would cause to the holy Catholic faith and the free exercise of the Inquisition. Communications were slow, for, on July 26, Agnate reported the arrival of Navarro and asked for instructions. Navarro found little difficulty in obtaining the desired brief in spite of Oñate's efforts. Villanueva seems to have awaited it while recuperating in retirement from his three years incarceration and final struggles. When it arrived he went to Zaragoza, which he reached August 31st. His coming aroused many fears, for people thought it might be the prelude to a bloody drama like that of Antonio Pérez. On September 2nd he presented himself at the prison of Manifestacion, where bail was entered for him by the sons of his brother Agustin and of the Count of Fuentes, after which he applied for a firma to protect him from molestation during the course of his appeal, which was duly granted. He was given the city, or as some said the kingdom, as a prison, and, on September 4th, the Bishop of Malaga, who was Captain-General, reported to the Count of Aro, Philip's new minister, that the city was quiet and there was nothing to fear. The bishop enclosed a letter of September 1st from Villanueva to the king, announcing that during his imprisonment his representatives, without his knowledge, had appealed to the pope, who had granted a brief empowering either the bishop of Cuenca, Segovia or Calahora, to hear the case in appeal and to render a final decision. While anxious for his means of obtaining justice, he would desist from it if such were the royal pleasure. The brief had not been presented to either of the prelates, nor would it be without the royal license. Arce had already been informed of the brief and had lost no time in taking steps to neutralize it. On September 3rd orders were sent to the bishop of Calaura, and doubtless to the others, ordering him not to receive it. He promptly replied that it had not been presented, but that if it should come he would refuse to accept or to execute it, trusting to the royal protection against all penalties that it might contain. He had been connected with the Inquisition and knew its justice with regard to Villanueva, and, if these appeals to Rome were allowed, the consequences to the Catholic religion would be lamentable. Apparently the Spanish episcopate had small reverence for the vicegerent of God. The leading statesmen of Spain took a different view. A junta had been assembled to consider the situation, of which five members out of six, including the President of Castile and the Commissioner-General of the Cruzada, united in a consulta of September 15. This set forth that when the Toledo tribunal sentenced Villanueva, he had a right of appeal to the Suprema. He presented reasons for recusing the Inquisitor-General and some of the members and was denied a hearing. He was seized again for the protest and appeal and held until he accepted the sentence and renounced all defense. He was thus forced to have recourse to the Pope, whose jurisdiction is supreme in matters of faith and is the source of that of all inquisitors. In ordinary cases, three decisions in conformity through appeals are required to render a sentence conclusive, while here, in a case involving the honor of a whole family, the single sentence of an inferior tribunal is all that has been allowed. Villanueva did not violate his sentence in going to Zaragoza, for it required him not to come within twenty leagues of the court, and he had gone away fifty leagues. He was justified in applying for the firma for the right of appeal includes the means necessary to enjoy the appeal. The inquisitor-general should be instructed not to order his arrest for, besides that no man should be deprived of his defense, it might cause some disturbance in Zaragoza under pretext of a violation of the fueros, for it is notorious that he was discharged by the inquisition. There are two courses open, one to solicit the Pope to withdraw the brief, the other that the fiscal of the Suprema apply for it, and then retain it, but these raise the scruple that a man struggling for his honor and that of his family is denied all defense, after he has been forced to seek it beyond the kingdom, and moreover in the disturbed condition of Naples, then in revolt under Masaniello. It is well not to offend the Pope, who might cause the loss of the Italian possessions of Spain." The sixth member of the junta, the licenciado Francisco Antonio de Alarcón, denounced Villanueva as guilty for going to another kingdom, Aragon. He was impeding the inquisition and inviting the papal interference which would destroy its usefulness. The fiscal should demand the papal brief and the council should retain it. The opinion of the junta doubtless prevented the rearrest and renewed prosecution of Villanueva, which was evidently contemplated but otherwise all reasons of justice and reasons of state were wasted on Philip, who was completely under the domination of Arce e Reynoso, and ready to rush blindly into a contest with Rome. Equally fruitless was an appeal made September 23rd by Agustin Villanueva, who furnished a list of cases in which appeals to the Pope had been admitted. A warning came from Agnate, who wrote December 17th, and again February 12th, 1648, that navarro was busily utilizing the impediments thrown in the way of the brief to procure another that the curia attributed all the trouble to Arce; that the delay was producing a bad impression and that there was serious talk in the congregation of the inquisition of disciplining him for it this brought from philip march seventeenth a rambling and inconsequential letter scolding oñate for his lack of success and urging him to fresh efforts the brief was invalid as being obrepetitious and surrepetitious. So Navarro was ordered home and Donate must see that he left Rome forthwith. Letters moreover to the Pope and the Cardinals in the Spanish interest, drawn up by the Suprema and signed by Philip, manifest how every influence that Spain possessed was employed to deprive Villanueva of his last resource. Innocent x, in fact, had grown indignant at the opposition to his brief and had transmitted through his nuncio another to Arce, forbidding all further resistance under pain of deprivation of the inquisitor generalship, suspension of all functions, and interdiction from entering a church, while other officials would be removed from office and excommunicated. To this Arce replied, March twelfth, assuring the pope that the case had been suspended awaiting the papal decision, and representing what he knew to be also false, that for a hundred and fifty years the popes had refused to entertain appeals or had revoked the briefs and remanded the cases to the inquisitor-general. The authority of the inquisition, he argued, was now more necessary than ever in consequence of the spread of Judaism and heresy. Villanueva had been treated with extreme kindness and benignity, as would be learned from a person about to be sent to inform the pope wherefore he begged that the case be remitted to him and the Suprema. This was a typical specimen of inquisitorial methods of misrepresentation and of evasion, of practical but not open disobedience. Innocent, however, was not to be thus juggled with. He had substituted the bishop of Sigüenza for him of Cuenca. Then the bishop of Segovia died, and Calahora was transferred to Pamplona whereupon further letters commissioned Siguenza, Pampluna and the bishop-elect of Segovia, but Pampluna died and was replaced by the bishop of Ávila, so finally a brief of April 1648 ordered Ávila, Siguenza and Segovia to act on their obedience and under penalty of suspension from all functions and of ingress to their churches. They all refused the dangerous office under various excuses, but the nuncio brought great pressure to bear on Ávila, and he finally accepted. It is noteworthy, however, that Villanueva never presented himself before the bishop, either in person or by procurator, to have the case reopened. The matter was evidently growing serious, and juntas were held July fourteenth and August twenty seventh to consider the situation. As the latter was presided over by Arce, whom Philip had made president of Castile so as to increase his powers of evil, It decided that the king should not submit to the abuses of the curia in a matter in which the Catholic religion was at stake. Philip scarce needed urging, but it was not until November 5th that he took the offensive by sending Don Pedro de Minerbe of the royal council to seize the brief, in whomsoever's hand it might be, and any others that Villanueva might have procured, together with all papers relating to it. These were to be considered by a junta to be assembled for the purpose, so that if they did not contravene the privileges of the Inquisition, they might be executed, and if otherwise, that His Holiness should be advised of it, and be supplicated to revoke them. Any notaries who had served the briefs were to be arrested and imprisoned, with a view to their prosecution. Minerva fulfilled his mission, but the time had passed when Ferdinand and Charles V had treated papal letters thus irreverently. Philip IV was a prince of very different calibre, and his tottering monarchy inspired but little respect. Arce felt the danger of his position, for innocent had threatened him with a deposition if the execution of the brief was impeded and an explosion of papal wrath was inevitable. He sought shelter in playing a double game, and, on January nineteenth, 1649, he presented to Philip a report as to cases which had been evoked by the Pope. In this, after citing a number, he added that there were many more recent ones in which the cases and papers had been demanded and the demands had been obeyed, notably in 1626 and 1627. These proved the subordination of the Spanish Inquisition to Rome, and even without them the papal supremacy was incontestable villanueva's appeal was directly to the pope whom all the faithful were bound to obey having thus placed himself on the record doubtless with the royal connivance he felt free to repeat his assertions that papal interference was unprecedented and to urge his master to stand fast the suprema had sent its fiscal cabrera to rome on this business and his efforts added to those of ognate were inclining innocent to yield when the news came of the seizure of the briefs. The papal displeasure was extreme, and there was no hesitation in taking up the gauge of battle. It had become a struggle for independence on the one side and for supremacy on the other, which had to be fought out, for there was no ground for compromise. All the advantage was on the side of the courier in the contest thus rashly provoked. It knew this, and its next move showed that it felt assured of victory. A brief of March the 1st recited the preliminaries of the case and then evoked it from the Inquisition and the bishops to the Apostolic See. Perpetual silence was imposed on the Inquisition, the Inquisitor General and other officials, any action by whom would bring upon them ipso facto and without further sentence perpetual and irrevocable suspension from divine service, the exercise of pontifical functions, and ingress into churches, together with the privation of their offices and ecclesiastical revenues. Moreover, within three months after notice of this, they were to transmit to Rome all papers and documents, public and private, concerning Villanueva under the same penalties, and finally all bulls from those of Alexander VI onward concerning appeals were derogated. The Suprema might well characterize to Philip this document as containing extraordinary and unusual clauses and it could only suggest to him the favorite Spanish formula, obedecer y no cumplir, to obey and not to execute. The first thing done was the customary supplication to the Pope to withdraw it, based on the laws of the kingdom and the high deserts of the holy office. This was done in such haste that there was no time to make a clean copy and it was dispatched by a courier April 24th. This gave breathing time, and more was gained by representing that it was impossible to trust the originals of the documents to the risks of transportation, and that the copying of them would consume much more than the three months allowed, as the secretaries were busy, and the records so voluminous that they occupied more than 8,000 pages. A gross exaggeration for when copied they amounted only to 4,600. This served for the present, however, and successive postponements were obtained. The supplication against the brief was of course useless, and the papal anger increased on learning that Villanueva's salaries had all been stopped, a petty persecution most unwise under the circumstances. At this time a curious incident was a memorial from Villanueva, May twenty-third, asking that his case be heard by the Council of Castile, although that body could not assume jurisdiction in such a matter. It was probably a despairing effort to find some exit from the complication, for Philip transmitted it to the council with some subsidiary papers to be considered in the junta, which he had ordered, and a consulta to be presented to him. It of course had no result, but it indicates the perplexities with which the situation had become surrounded. These perplexities were increased by a demand from Innocent for satisfaction for the treatment of his brief to the Bishop of Avila. A junta was assembled which could do nothing but refer it to the suprema, and the latter could only reply with a consulta of july 15, exculpating itself for paying no regard to Villanueva's appeal. Nor did it succeed much better in a paper, drawn up on july seventeenth, for the benefit of the duke del Infantado, the new ambassador to Rome, for it could only recite the old briefs granting exclusive jurisdiction and endeavor to explain away, as exceptional, the cases in which the pope had insisted on his rights all this however was felt to be useless and there was preparation for war in instructions sent to the seaports to keep close watch on all vessels arriving from italy when if there appeared to be papal agents or notaries among the passengers their baggage was to be minutely examined and any papal briefs addressed to bishops or judges were to be sent to the secretary of state and the bearers were to be held under further orders this being done with the utmost secrecy and as if in the ordinary routine of business the precaution proved superfluous but in december the duke del infantado reported that his efforts and cabreras had been in vain the pope insisted that the process should be brought to rome on the plea of the time required for copying successive postponements had been obtained the latest of which expired in april sixteen fifty the pope was becoming more and more impatient especially as no satisfaction had been given for the seizure of the brief to the bishop of Avila, nor hadn't been returned as he demanded. February 5th orders were sent to the Nuncio that if the papers were not forthcoming in April, the full penalties of the brief of evocation must be inflicted, and due notice of this was given to Arce. These penalties withdrew all functions from the Inquisitor General and Suprema, abrogated their offices in fact, and the friends of Yanueva were busy collecting evidence of their being at work, so as to prove to Innocent the disregard of his withdrawal of faculties. The gravity of the situation is reflected in a consulta presented to Philip at this time, weighing the courses that might be followed and hinting at a possible schism as the result of the king standing firm in defense of the Inquisition. To avert this, it is hoped that a further delay may be obtained and the Pope be placated by returning the Avila brief. The plan finally adopted of offering to send the papers and letting the king detain them was deprecated, because the Pope would see through it, and the blame of the perilous situation was thrown on the Spanish cardinals, whose indifference was ascribed to their belief that the king favored Yanueva. Arce's court intrigue had brought matters to such a pass that the sundering of Spain from Catholic unity was looming on the horizon on april eighth the archbishop of tarsus the papal nuncio made a formal demand on the king for the papers the latest term of delay had expired and the penalties for contumacy would operate of themselves the policy of delay was still followed and on may second Arce notified the nuncio that the copying was completed two secretaries and five other officials had been working on them for twelve or fourteen hours a day but in view of certain risks it was thought better to wait till the Pope should indicate how they should be sent. The nuncio asked for a formal certificate that the papers were ready, on the strength of which he would ask the Pope for instructions, and thus a month or two were gained. This was all mere playing for time. There was no intention of letting the papers go to Rome, for, on April 24th, the King sent secret instructions to Infantado to avert it but he replied june twenty seventh and again july twenty sixth, that innocent refused all suggestions, and there was little hope of an adjustment. Then another scene of the comedy was acted september fourteenth, by issuing a formal order to forward the papers, and, on the sixteenth, they were delivered to Damian de Fonoyeda, notary of the tribunal of Barcelona, in five volumes aggregating four thousand six hundred pages. There was no intention of sending them, however, and Fonoyeda was detained in Madrid until November 5th. Meanwhile, a junta, assembled for the purpose, presented a consulta September 24th, setting forth that in no case should the papers be allowed to leave the kingdom, and suggesting as a compromise that the matter be decided by three bishops, sitting in the Suprema, without Arce and the members. Innocent, of course, rejected this, and Fonoyeda was allowed to depart on November 5th due time he reported his arrival at Valencia and was instructed to take passage by the first vessel and deliver the papers to the Pope, but before he could obey this order it was countermanded and he was told to wait. Meanwhile the Suprema, to keep itself right on the record and avert papal wrath, addressed to Philip on September 16, October 3 and 19, and January 23 and February 4, 1651, repeated requests to allow the messenger to sail. End of Book 3, Chapter 5, Part 4 Recording by Ernst Schnell